Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. A virgin had to be, okay, had to be. Sin has passed through the Father. So every single one of you, born a sinner, myself included, okay? Uh, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, placing Jesus inside of Mary, there's the Immaculate Conception there. Uh, It's a miracle. Can we explain it? No, that's why they call them miracles. Uh, You can't explain it. You don't need to try to rationalize it. You just, we by faith believe that these things happen. I don't have an issue with that either. Most everyone in America has heard the story of the birth of Christ from the Gospel of Luke. We generally imagine the birth of Jesus as something that just happened instead of the series of miracles that transpired to bring it about. A very young, ordinary teenage girl and a young man were chosen to be the parents. They showed amazing faith to accept that message they received from God. In today's message, Pastor James explains these miracles surrounding Christ's birth that took place in the town of Bethlehem. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Luke, chapter 2, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Turn to Luke, chapter 2, in your Bibles. The story of the birth of Jesus is what we're going to talk about from Luke chapter 2 with the story of Mary and and Joseph and just the understanding of what it meant to be selected by God to usher in, to bring in uh, Yeshua, the Messiah. Like it's no like nobody was celebrating these guys back then. Like we celebrate them a little too much now, but back then nobody was celebrating Mary. I hope you understand that about the Christmas story. She, and we'll see it in just a second, she forever, for the most part, walked around with this stigma that she was not exactly morally pure. Because everybody knows, well, you had a baby outside of wedlock. Yes, you were betrothed, but you got pregnant. We all know it's Joseph's baby. That's what she walked in almost probably every day of her life. Nobody was like revering Mary, right? I mean, there was some of that, and as people caught on to who Jesus was and all that good stuff, they would see that. But just so we understand this about Mary and Joseph, this was like the stigma that they walked with probably for the rest of their lives. Like, oh yeah, the son of God, sure, right. And you can understand that the rumors are probably circulating about these young kids. Mary's probably around 14 years old, 14 to 16 years old. That's how old she was. Young kids who are getting betrothed, and if you're thinking like, why would you do that? Well, different time, different culture, it's okay, <laughs> right? So, um, but these are some of the things, I, w- I want to communicate these things up front as we read through this story, but these are the ones that God had selected, and it was prophesied about it, you know, in Isaiah that he'd be born of a virgin, that is absolutely essential to Christian theology. She had to be a virgin, not a young woman, a virgin, had to be. Okay, had to be. Sin has passed through the Father. So every single one of you, born a sinner, myself included, okay? Uh, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, placing Jesus inside of Mary, there's the Immaculate 
conception there. Uh, it's a miracle. Can we explain it? No, that's why they call them miracles. Uh, you can't explain it. You don't need to try to rationalize it. You just, we by faith believe that these things happen. I don't have an issue with that either. But this is kind of the scene. We're dealing with two kids who have no idea what they're doing. They're, they live in poverty. They're not rich, okay? The wise men didn't show up till much later, okay? So they, they didn't have frankincense and gold and myrrh and all that good stuff. When they went to the temple to make a sacrifice, they gave the sacrifice of two poor people. So look at this at verse 1 of chapter 2. I might jump around in this chapter a little bit, but just try to keep up with me. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, Luke, just so you understand, Luke is a physician. Luke is a, a guy who's going to, in studying the life of Jesus, he was going to make sure that he had all the facts straight. He researched the life and story of Jesus before he ever wrote this letter to a Roman guy named Theophilus. Luke is brilliant. He's very smart. And so he's doing his research. And what this very intelligent man does is he includes historical facts within there so that we could, they're like, you know, handholds, so to speak, throughout history. So we can go back and say like, oh, you don't believe the birth of Jesus. Well, Luke did us all a favor by naming two key figures in history. He said, oh, it happened when these guys were in charge. They happened to do this census, which, you know, hadn't been done in a while, which shows us that Augustus may think that he is God. He is not. He is being used by God to fulfill this great prophecy that had been talked about hundreds of years prior to this story. None of your leaders in this world are actually in charge. God is in charge. Please know that. Please take comfort in that. Augustus was, he thought, and he, he made it so that everybody would identify or recognize him as a god. Little did he know that the God of the universe was using him to orchestrate his plan, moving the chess pieces in place, okay? So it says, verse 3, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. So this is a journey of somewhere around 70 miles. You're in your car, depends on how fast you drive. About an hour. If you've got, you know, a history of speeding tickets, you probably are going to try to break all those records. But these guys are on foot from the very top of Israel, the northern part in Nazareth. Nazareth is a beautiful town, beautiful, beautiful town, amazing town. But it's like green and there's beautiful trees everywhere. It's, it's fantastic. I, let me paint it for you. Think like Colorado. Think like mountainous towns. Is that what you envision when you think about Israel? green and trees. It's gorgeous. It's an amazing town. 70 miles. Joseph, as a builder, a construction guy, was not going to put his soon-to-be wedded wife on a donkey for 70 miles. Pregnant. Not going to happen, okay? What he's going to do as a builder is he's probably going to build her a nice cart, put her in the cart, let the donkey pull the cart the 70 miles. In this journey, that they have to get back to, they got to get back to uh, Bethlehem. Again, that's what was prophesied, Micah 5.2. He would come from Bethlehem. So they're journeying to Bethlehem. Here they are. She's pregnant. She's about to give birth. She's, you know, quickly approaching that. 
and they got to get from where they're at all the way down to Bethlehem. And of course, everybody else in Israel is journeying to Jerusalem at this time. So you guys know the story. There's no room for them in the inn and all that good stuff, okay? Please don't vilify the innkeeper. It was not his fault. Give the guy some slack. He didn't know. He's, you're an innkeeper. You're going to rent out your rooms to anybody and everybody. They found a place and all that good stuff. But So it says, verse 5, he took with him Mary, whom he was engaged or betrothed, who was now expecting a child. When they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in linen cloth or strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So here's Mary giving birth for the first time ever to baby Jesus. Or as your Bible probably should say Yeshua because that's really his name. But there they are. So you can picture in that scene, you got two kids, essentially is what we'll call them, first-time parents, and they're first-time parents to God in flesh. Can you imagine the pressure of that alone? Like, oh no, like this is the second person of the Trinity. This is Jesus. This is Yeshua. This is, this is the Christ. I, I can't even imagine, like, it just seemed to me so surreal to be in that moment. As Joseph is there, and, and Joseph is, you know, who knows if there are other people there, probably. I mean, there could have been some other people there helping with the delivery process. Joseph would be the one who's cutting the umbilical cord of Jesus. Like, it's just a real story. It's not like magical or mystical in that sense. It's a real flesh and blood story. And there is Jesus. And here are these two kids for the first time ever holding God in flesh. Amazing. That same night as they're, you know, they, they just welcomed in the Messiah. Verse 8, it says, there were shepherds staying in fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. It's a Shekinah of Adonai is what it says. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. The most common command throughout the entire Bible is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 365 times that command is written in your Bible. Do not be afraid. The angel says, I bring to you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. You want to know why that's significant? Because there are no other babies in mangers, because that's where the animals eat. So they're not like, is that him? No, that's not him. Uh, Let's check this other manger. They're not going around surveying other mangers. There's only one that contains God in flesh or any baby. And here are the shepherds, the lowest of the low, society speaking, like within the economy of Israel, the shepherds are at the bottom. Nobody aspires to be a shepherd. Nobody wants to walk around smelling like sheep all day. Okay, this is what you're born into. This is family business stuff. Nobody goes to extra school to learn how to be a shepherd. That wasn't happening. Being a shepherd was beneath most people within Israel, especially the religious leaders who should have been aware that this day was going on, but they totally missed it. At this time, you have men from the east, 
probably Iran, we talked about this a little bit too, knowing of this story, probably because of Daniel, when he spent time in Babylon, sharing with them prophecies about a future king. So these wise men are saying like, well, look at that big bright star. Let's just follow that thing. Like everything more than likely that Daniel had shared down the line with these guys, they're like, that's the sign. So they're probably making their journey to this place. We know that they weren't there the night of. All your nativity scenes are wrong. I'm sorry, but that's true. Don't throw them away. You're fine, all right? Not a big deal, okay? But they weren't there the first night. But you got wise men from the East who are not even Jewish, and you have the lowest within the society as shepherds all converging to meet the Son of God. Where are the religious people? Where are the religious experts? The ones who know the Bible so well miss the greatest night in history, knowing so much they're as blind as can be. That Jesus showed up and they're like, and they're clueless. They had ideas and all that good stuff, but this was not the Savior they were expecting. But these shepherds, they, they get this message from the angel and he lets them know, he's like, don't be afraid, go check it out, go check them out. Angels are always directing you to Jesus. If an angel shows up in your life and is not directing you to Jesus, do not listen to that angel, quote unquote. If it's a messenger from God, which are real, angels are real, by the way. There's good ones and bad ones. So sorry, Joseph Smith. You're not visited by a good angel. Probably was a bad one. Because good angels always are messengers of Jesus and directing people to Jesus. This angel showed up and he's directing the shepherds to Jesus. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom he, God is pleased. So this heavenly chorus erupts. And I'm thinking, there's shepherds in the field. How is nobody else hearing this? Like outside of Bethlehem, wouldn't you think you'd wake up to like, you hear something? Did somebody leave the music on? What's that noise? I mean, that's what I would envision would be happening, right? Like, something's going on. Because it's not like this was a silent choir. It wasn't like sign language. This was voices booming. And the only ones that God has their attention is, is the shepherds in the field. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, right? <laughs> like, yeah, the smartest move of their lives. They're like, you guys think we should go to Bethlehem? I think we probably should. Yeah, you better go to Bethlehem. After that kind of experience, get to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, they hurried, they hurried to the village and found Mary and the baby lying in the manger, just as the messengers had said. I love the emphasis there. And in my Bible, I've, and this is New Living Translation, but in my Bible, I've, I've underlined and circled those words. They hurried and they found. They hurried, they made haste. Oh, you tell me Jesus is there? Then I'm going to hurry to get to where he's at. I, I'm going to diligently seek him out. I will find him. And the beauty of the whole gospel message is that we think we find Jesus. He actually has found us. He was never lost. We were. But I love their attitude. May that always be our hearts and our minds. Oh, you tell me Jesus is moving here? 
he's on the move over here, then I want to be where he's at. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, and it was just as the angel had told them, come and see, go and tell. It's the message of the birth. It's the message of the resurrection. Come and see, now go and tell. It's the message of Calvary Galveston. It's the heartbeat of Calvary Galveston. Come and see our risen Savior and go and tell. Go tell others. Go tell others he's risen. Yes, he came as a child, as a baby, and grew as a man and was sinless, perfect, and became this perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. And he was crucified, but he was buried. But then three days later, he rose again. He is alive. He is alive. Come and see. Go and tell. What our world needs more so now than ever before is messengers, ambassadors to represent Jesus, not only through word, but also through deed. You come and see. Now you go and tell. You go and tell. Be like these shepherds. Be like the disciples who ran to that empty tomb and witnessed, it's empty. And then they saw him when he came back later, and they hung out with him for a while. And there was 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses that saw the risen, resurrected Jesus. Come and see, go and tell. And the last little bit of this story that I want to share with you guys is when he's presented in the temple. Because there's two characters, again, part of this birth of Jesus story that don't get a whole lot of mentions or props, but I think they should. So he's presented in the temple. It says, verse 21, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. Remember, the angel had told Joseph, this is what you're going to name him. The name given to him by the angel, there you go, even before he was conceived, when it was time for the purification by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child, they're following the law. They're doing what they're supposed to do. So they bring their child, Jesus, they took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. A beautiful thing. That's where we get like child dedication from as well. If you've ever done that or experienced that, if you're like, I kind of missed the boat. Now my kid's 20. Can I still dedicate him to the Lord? Well, you can, but it might be weird for them, right? And be like, I'll hold him like this and pray over him. And you can dedicate him to the Lord without me. So, okay, just so you know. They bring him to dedicate him to the Lord says, the law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That is a sacrifice for poor people. That's all they had. That's all they had. And they probably were scraping just to get those two turtle doves. But I love that they were obedient to the Lord. And it, you could tell that it had clicked. It resonated within their hearts. They know who they're carrying, and they know that he is worthy of everything they have. You want two pigeons? You want two turtle doves? Here you go, because he's worthy of them. He's worthy of all we have. And isn't it beautiful to know the whole story that even through that, and and these are two kids, and they don't have a whole lot, but how God supplies their needs in the end, he always takes care of, always takes care of his kids. It says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, was eagerly waiting. There it is, that word again, just like the shepherds, okay? 
He's eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there, and he took the child in his arms, praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people, all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. So here is Simeon, who's been waiting his whole life for the Messiah, and Jesus, in the form of a baby who is only, what, eight days old, shows up. And the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon and said, get to the temple today. Get to the temple today. And he shows up, and he knew. He knew exactly why. God was telling him to get to the temple because he saw the Messiah, and he obviously, through the, through the Holy Spirit communicating to him and in him and through him and all that good stuff, was like, saw the baby and was like, there he is. He's the Messiah. This old man grabs hold of baby Jesus and has a Lion King moment, right? Like raises him up. Salvation. Salvation is here. And that was enough for Simeon. He's like, Lord, you can take me now. I've seen salvation. Your word has come true. I'm good. You can take me home now. There was another person that was there as well. Anna, let's read this last little portion here. Verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul, Mary. Mary, you're blessed, but this blessing is going to come with a hardship. And part of that was carrying around this, you know, living with those unfounded rumors. But then at the end of his life, Jesus' life, Mary would watch her, her baby boy be crucified. Her firstborn baby boy be just slaughtered. If you do the math, Mary was somewhere around 44 to 46 years old when Jesus died. 44 to 46 years old when, Jesus, when she watched her baby boy die on that cross. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie um, The Passion, right? Mel Gibson did that thing. I've seen it twice, and it wrecked me. But there's a beautiful image, and this is theatrical, but you have Mary on the floor mopping up her son's blood. And I think they did such a beautiful job and great job of what that would have been like. Like, this is, these are real people. Please don't elevate them to a place where they don't belong, as if she's super holy and super pious and would have been like, it was the Lord's will for this to happen. Now, she's a mom. She just watched her son die. She was selected by God, and that came with a price. But then she also got to see her baby boy resurrected. Amazing. And Mary's an amazing woman. She is blessed, for sure. She is not perfect. She is never sinless. You don't need her to intercede on behalf of you. You have a direct line to Jesus. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless. 
It's a tale as old as time. Everyone has heard the Christmas story, as it's been passed down from generation to generation. There have been storylines created to share different perspectives and offer insight into what it was like for all those groups involved in this miracle of love and life. As you enter into yet another Christmas season this year, we encourage you to share this story with your loved ones again, and to think about how amazing it is after all this time that the story of Jesus hasn't changed at all. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Today, Pastor James shared a special Christmas message, celebrating the birth of Jesus and our salvation. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We're so glad that you decided to join us for today's special message. The Christmas season is one of new hope and new life. If you'd like to be a part of sharing that life with the world, would you consider partnering with us financially in this coming year? To find out how, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. And as we move into the new year, we want to invite you to celebrate the life we find in Jesus together, in person. Come see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. We would love to worship God together with you. Our gatherings are simple and uncomplicated, so you're sure to find a place that you'll fit right in. Well, that's all that we have for today. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you again here next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.